Hear the word of God from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest, as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. Good to be able to worship with all of you this morning. We're so close to finishing up our series in the Pentateuch together. We actually only have today and next week to finish up our series. I hope you've really enjoyed your time, our time, in these five, first five books of the Bible. I hope you've seen yourself in the Israelites' experience. God is so good, and I think he gave us this series as a church for this time intentionally. Our next sermon series will begin on June 14th, and we'll be diving into the book of James. And most of you guys know here at Waypoint, we like to go alternate our sermon series from the Old Testament to the New Testament to be back and forth, so we make sure we cover both Old and New Testament well here. Today, we're looking at the Ten Commandments as they're found in the book of Deuteronomy. And as a kid, I hated rules and regulations. I wanted more freedom. I didn't want to be told what time to go to bed. I didn't want to limit on my TV. I didn't want to greet adults at the door in a formal manner that my parents always made me do. I hated rules as kids. It felt oppressive and the opposite of what I most wanted in this world, which was fun. Now, as an adult, I see the reasons for them more than ever. But honestly, I still don't really like them. 
Like, I know why I have to limit the iPad for my boys or limit the ice cream intake or enforce bedtimes. I get it. I understand why I have to do this. I know I need to teach them manners because spoiled boys lead the rotten adults. I get this, but it isn't easy for me. It's not something that I innately want to do. I, I don't like being the rule-keeping judge or the enforcer. It, it's hard work for me. Um, that's why I often make my wife do it. But no, it's, it's hard work for me because something, this is something that I need to discipline myself to do. But then why do I do it? Why am I care to enforce rules with my boys? Because it's love and grace. Rules for my boys is a means of grace for them. It protects them. It allows them to grow. It nourishes them and keeps them from getting rotten. It's harder and more work for me, but I will sacrificially do it out of love for them. The law is grace. It is a gift. Ligon Duncan says this, the law is infleshed love and righteousness. It shows you what righteousness looks like in a specific circumstance. It shows you what love looks like in a specific circumstance. That's what the law is. It is a reflection of the character of God and an authoritative expression of what it means to love and to be righteous. Guys, we're going to look at the law. We're going to take a look at the Ten Commandments, but from the book of Deuteronomy instead of the more traditional book of Exodus. Now, if I ask the question, where can you find the Ten Commandments in the Bible? What would you say? I love that. So one person goes, Exodus? And then somebody else who's the overachiever says, Exodus and Deuteronomy. <laughs> Most people ask, when asked, they say, oh yeah, you find, the Exodus, you find the law of the Ten Commandments first in the book of Exodus. That's where it is. When they first brought the people to this incredible scene at Mount Sinai, we, we spoke about this earlier, about Mount Sinai and the golden calf in an earlier sermon, but we didn't touch on the Ten Commandments. That was intentional. I wanted to save the Ten Commandments for this passage in Deuteronomy for a reason, and you'll see the reason as we go on. So let me give you a little bit of context for the Ten Commandments in the chapter five of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter four, Israel is reminded of the authority by which they live. They are reminded that they had heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of fire and survived. Al Mohler says, chapter four reflects the form of a suzerain treaty, an ancient Near Eastern convention whereby a conqueror sets down the terms of surrender. In this case, of course, the conqueror is none other than the Lord God. The conquered is none other than his own chosen nation, Israel. God sets down the terms and they're very easy to understand. It comes down to a very simple formula, hear and obey and live. Refuse to hear, disobey, and bear the wrath of God. The Israelites should know the truth of this covenant. This is a generation that survived, that was kept alive through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They had witnessed the death of their own parents because they disobeyed and did not trust the Lord. And now as the children of Israel are being prepared for the conquest of the Holy Land, they are reminded again of the covenant. Now, guys, we call this book Deuteronomy, Deuteronomus. It's called the second giving of the law. That's what it stands for, Deuteronomy. And because we confront again the Ten Commandments. Amwaller says again, the giving of the Ten Commandments cannot be separated from the narrative context in which it comes. The propositional truth which is in the law comes in the midst of a history of a people and God's dealing with that people. It is a relational revelation. It is a dramatic revelation. Guys, I want you to picture this. The Israelite people are now a generational, generation older and removed from the previous one. They've wandered and circled the wilderness for about 40 years. They went through the book of Numbers, which we think is better entitled Into the Wilderness. They're now on the boundary to the promised land. 
And this book comes during that time. The first four chapters looks back at what God has done. And then chapter five starts on what's expected of them. The call, the covenant love and loyalty. There are tried people who have been through the wilderness together. God is reminding them, calling them to be united as his people. God wants them to mirror his character and be a blessing to the nations, to abide by his laws. He gives them the Ten Commandments here again. So what's the purpose of the Ten Commandments? What was God's purpose behind giving the Ten Commandments? I want to answer this question by first by looking at what the law was not designed to do. There are two common misconceptions about the law that I hope I can lay to rest right here. First, the law was not designed to bring you into relationship with God. You say that again. The law was not designed to bring you into relationship with God. Remember, Israel was already in a relationship with God. God had made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants centuries before. God had delivered them from Egypt as a direct result of that relationship covenant. They've been through the wilderness with the presence of God in their midst, celebrating rituals and festivals. The Ten Commandments were not designed to bring you into a relationship with God. Israel was already in a relationship with God before he gave them the Ten Commandments. Two, the law was not designed to serve as some type of entrance exam to get into heaven. This is probably one of the most common misconceptions about the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've heard the question before, it's been tossed around, if you died today and stood before God, you know, and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And the most common answer in the biblical South is something along the lines of, well, I'm a good person. I go to church. You know, I live by the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, that was a question, answer that somebody actually said when, uh, when talking to Jesus, right? No. That is not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Galatians 2, 15 through 16 says this. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, that we may just be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you hear that? No one is justified before God by observing the law. Observing the law will not gain you acceptance before God. The law is not designed to be an entrance exam into heaven. The law was designed to do the following three things. Number one, the law is designed to reveal to us God's character. The law is designed to reveal to us God's character. Psalm 19, 7 through 11 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward." The law teaches us the beauty, perfection, sweetness, and holiness of God's character. Do you want to know what God's character is? Do you want to know what God is like? Look at the Ten Commandments. Each of the Ten Commandments is a revelation. Each one gives us an insight into the character of God. For example, what kind of amazing person would say, you shall not steal? Only a just and generous person who can be fully trusted, who would never rob us or defraud us, who would never lie or cheat, who would never hold out on us wrongly, who is not out for himself, who feels no need and no appetite, but only overflowing kindness and abundance. 
It reveals God's character too. The law is designed to restrain human evil. Romans 13 speaks of how governments who enforce the law strike fear into the hearts of those who do wrong. There's a general understanding into the human conscience when we do wrong that there are consequences to be paid. God has built into us his fear of judgment. The Ten Commandments have exerted a great moral influence in society by restraining evil. It showed us that justice is real and can exist. It allows us to have a standard, a moral guide, a guide of a set of rules that allows us to live in a peaceful society that holds back the evil nature of man. Three, the law is designed to convict you of sin and your need for a savior. Listen to the Apostle Paul's word from Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what, it, what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. God has given us his law, but we cannot keep his law. Take a look at how many times... Um, how many commandments the people of Israel broke while just Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments? They broke almost every commandment immediately after receiving them. Knowledge of the law is not enough. Knowing what's right does not confer power to do what is right. That's why we have doctors who smoke and financial advisors who are in debt and marriage counselors who are divorced. Knowledge of the law does not convey power to do the law. So the law was not given to remedy our sin, but to reveal our sin and to point us to our need of a savior. John Calvin puts it this way. He said, thus the law is a kind of mirror. As in the mirror we discover any stains upon our face, so in the law we behold first our impotence, then in consequence of it our iniquity, and finally the curse as a consequence of both. A mirror has the power to show you that you're dirty, but it has no power to clean you up. And so the law leaves you hanging helpless in need of a savior. And when we look honestly at these commandments, one of the first things we see is that our hearts desire a lot of things that go against these commandments. If these commandments reveal the beauty and character of God and his will, then we look at these commandments and we say, wait, what's wrong with my heart? I often want the opposite of these. What does that say about me? If these commandments are beauty, I often desire depravity. If these are righteousness, my heart is characterized by wrongness. If these are godliness, I often desire godlessness. It says, have no other gods before me. Can I say that? I, I, can I say I've never put anything before God in my life? I've never loved or trusted or obeyed anything more than God. God and God alone has always been preeminent in my thoughts, affections, and actions. It says, don't take my name in vain. Have I always held the name of God, which signifies his character in highest respect, invoking his name only with thoughtfulness and reverence? Have I never used his name as a swear word? Or have I never been lethargic or apathetic during worship? 
Have I ever never desecrated God's name by calling myself his follower but not representing him well? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I, have I always trust God with my time and with my money and my resources to obey this command? Can I rest because I trust him so fully? Honor your parents. Have I always been submissive to my parents and other authorities? Have I given them honor and willing obedience, whether they're watching or not? Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. Over and over and over again, we break these simple seeming commandments. Whether or not you literally kill someone or commit adultery, you've thought it in your mind. You've hated, you've lusted, you've fantasized. I know you're thinking, well, well, that's not fair. I mean, at least I can say I've kept that one, right? At least I can say I've never done, I've never killed anybody, I've never committed adultery. I, I mean, that's at least like, well, I mean, I might commit all the other ones, but those I didn't commit, right? That's not fair, Lawrence, that you're saying I did. What I'm saying is you might not have committed them, out, but you did in your heart. Jesus said that's what this law is getting at, your heart. Just because you didn't do it, good for you, but your heart still lusts, still hates, still is broken and dirty. This is what the law reveals about your heart. You say, oh, I'm a pretty good person, right? No. Pretty good compared to whom? If you're even halfway honest about yourself, you got to say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person, except um, for the fact that I'm a blaspheming, lying, murderous, disrespectful, greedy, adultering idol worshiper. So what do you do? We've been given a mirror and we see what we are, now what? We need a savior. Galatians 3.24 says, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. The law taught us, it guarded us, it guided us, it protected us, but then it was made complete in Christ. Paul says in Romans 3.21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Righteousness is given to us as a gift through Christ to be received through faith in Jesus. I've heard it said like this, the law is like a set of railroad tracks. The tracks provide, provide no power for the train, but the train must stay on the tracks in order to function. The law never gives any power to do what it commands, only the gospel has the power, as it were, to move the train, to change the heart. The law is the mirror that shows our need for our savior, one to rescue us from our sin. Jesus' death and resurrection changes our hearts, gives us freedom from the penalties of the law to be given the freedom to live in the law. Let me say that again. Jesus' death and resurrection changes our hearts, gives us freedom from the penalties of the law to be given freedom, the freedom to live in the law. Guys, I want to briefly show you, share with you four reasons why we should still obey the Ten Commandments today. And we should obey them because of who we are, who he is to us, where we are, and what he has done. The first reason, who we are. A set-apart people. The Pentateuch over and over again called the people to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says, look, this is who you are. You're my people. I've rescued you. I've redeemed you. I've set you apart. I've given you festivals. I've given you these laws and these commands to say, this is who you are. You're a set-apart people. And even now, as Christians, the same commandment applies. 
In fact, Peter's epistle uses the exact same language to describe Christians. We're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, there's, guys, there's a right way to be patriotic about your country. And that's a good thing. You can wave that American flag or you can sing the national anthem. But as important as it is to belong to an earthly country, there's so much more importance that you, that you understand you belong to a heavenly country, a holy nation that unites all of us to truly follow God and to know Christ. And if we are to be this holy nation, then we have to be a people who are set apart, who we must be prepared to stand alone, look different, act differently, and a set of commandments that the world may scoff at thinking they they can come up with better commandments on their own. But we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Now, sadly, that's not often what we actually look like. That's often not what the church is on a lot of days. But it is who God has called us to be. It's who we're supposed to be on our best days. We want to be who, who God's called us to be as a royal priesthood, a royal holy nation, And that comes first by obeying the Ten Commandments, the thing that God called us and given us to set us apart. Two, who God is to us. God says, I am the Lord, your God. And the New Testament says of those who belong to Christ, you are his treasured possession. Guys, he is a personal God and he is for us. It'd be frightening to the point of death to simply say, I am the Lord. But then he says, I am the Lord, your God. For you, I am your God, and you are my people. I am your Father. Guys, why wouldn't we listen to our loving, heavenly Father? You know, as a kid uh, growing up, I always thought my dad was the biggest, baddest, awesomest, strongest, most powerful dude that can do everything. You know, like... I'm just going to be honest with you guys right now, this side of being a kid. My dad's like 5'3 and 125 pounds, so he's not necessarily the biggest guy. But as a kid, people would be like, oh, my dad could beat up your dad. Oh, my dad could beat up your dad. Oh, my dad's stronger than your dad. And I always thought my dad was bigger than everybody else's dad. And anything he said was right. You know, if, if, if dad said this, I'm like, uh-huh, that's right. I'm, I'm going to believe that for the rest of my life. Because he's my dad. You know, he's my dad, a personal relationship. I looked up to him. I wanted to be like him. Guys, do you know God as your God, as your heavenly father? If so, then do you look at his law, his Ten Commandments, and be like, I want to be like you, dad. I want to be like you. Reason three, because of where we are. We have been brought out of the house of slavery, like the Israelites, the Israelites were not in Egypt anymore. And as the New Testament used that as a metaphor for sin and bondage itself, we are no longer in Egypt. We are free people. The Ten Commandments is not a tool for bossing slaves around. It's a word to former slaves about how to live in perpetual freedom. The biblical definition of freedom is not doing whatever you want. It's enjoying the benefits of doing what you should. We too often think of the law, the Ten Commandments, as constraining to us. If we have all these rules, we'll be in servitude and bondage, and we won't be self-actualized or self-realized. But what we don't realize is that these commandments are for joy and for life. First John says his laws are not burdensome. You think it's burdensome to have the Ten Commandments? Guys, let me tell you, do you know how many laws there are in the United States of America? Anybody? How many laws are in the United States of America? It's a trick question because no one actually knows. 
There are 20,000 laws on the books regulating gun ownership alone. 20,000 laws regulating gun ownership alone. In 2010, an estimated 40,000 new laws were added at various levels throughout the country. In the year 2010, 40,000 new laws were estimatedly added. The U.S. Code, which is just one accounting of federal laws, not including regulatory statutes, has more than 50 volumes. In 2008, a House committee asked the Congressional Research Service to calculate the number of criminal offenses in federal law. They responded five years later that they lacked the manpower and resources to answer such a question. Guys, God is not trying to crush us with red tape and regulations. The Ten Commandments are not a prison bar, but traffic laws. Maybe there are some anarchists among us who are like, oh, we don't need speed limits. Why do we need traffic lights? Why do we need stop signs? But in reality, most of you guys understand, understand that traffic laws are for the good. It's for the better. It's for the freedom of society to flow and function. Even if we get impatient, if we were at a red light, we just want to zoom, we know that we need that semblance of law in our driving so that we can get around that people stop and go, um, that they're looking out for kids and their schools, we're happy for that. When we're driving a dangerous mountain road or on a bridge, are you angry that someone put up rails so that you don't fly over? Someone put them up there at great expense for our good, that we may travel about freely and safely. Guys, the Ten Commandments are given for a free people to stay free. We're not in Egypt anymore. Reason four, because of what he has done. The Ten Commandments begins in both the Exodus account and the Deuteronomy account with a recitation of historical fact. A people who were a slave people and were set free. They believed it was their God who set them free. They believed that their God then spoke to them and gave them commandments and that they should be obeyed. Note once again that the law is coming after the gospel, after the good news of deliverance. He did not come to the people as slaves and say, okay, I have 10 commandments for you. I want you to get these right. I'm going to come back in five years after you've gotten your life cleaned up and do this right. Then I'm going to set you free from Egypt. That may be what some of you think about Christianity. God has rules and he said to get these rules right and then he'll love you and save you. That's not what happened in the story of Exodus. There were oppressed slave people and God said, I hear your cry. I save you because I love you. And when you're saved, free, and forgiven, and you see everything else is, I want to give you a new way to live. I have commandments so that you can live in freedom, in your, in your freedom, or live free in your freedom. Salvation is not the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. Jesus does not say, if you obey my commandments, I will love you. Instead, in John 13, he washes the feet of the disciples. Then in John 14, he says, if you love me and I loved you first, you'll understand you will obey my commandments. All of our doing is only because of what he has first done for us. Do you understand that it's because of the good news of the gospel that our hearts can be transformed to live according to the beautiful life-giving law, the train tracks that God has given us to walk in. And these train tracks are like traffic laws to let us live the life we're called to live fully. It is grace to us. It is mercy. Waypoint Church, when we live according to the law of according to the Ten Commandments, when we live in such a way, people will see the freedom that we have. People will see the character and nature of a good, good God. People will see that we are set-apart people, so different from everybody else, so different from the world around them. And then they will see the work 
that accomplished our freedom to live in such a manner. May we be people of the law. I know that sounds so weird. We preach over and over again. It's not about the law. It's about relationship. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about relationship. Guys, can I tell you, it's about both. Because of relationship, we have freedom to live in religion. I know that sounds weird to say it like that. But it's grace to us. It's freeing to us. And it shows the world the character of God. May we show it to them right now and be set apart people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your law. And God, we thank you that it wasn't given as a precursor or as a means of salvation, as a means of rescue. God, that you rescued us first. God, we thank you that it does this incredible purpose of showing us your character, your nature, but also does this incredible purpose of giving a mirror to us. God, that we see our sinfulness and our need of you. In the midst of our need, you rescue us. So God, we thank you that you give us the power and the means to live according to the law so that we can be a set-apart people, freely living in the freedom that you've given us so that the world may see a holy nation, a royal priesthood, call to advance your kingdom and be difference makers in this world and culture. God, we ask for that. God, we ask for our, your people to rise up in this day and age, in this society, in this culture, and look different from everybody else. May we be a royal priesthood in Jesus' name. Amen.